Hi. When I was in college, well, first to start, I was so relieved to leave high school. Anybody else? I was over it. It was, the relationships had all fallen apart. Things were crazy. I just wanted a fresh start. So we get to college, and you start meeting people. And I met a girl who um, just kind of, we clicked, you know? Like, we had a lot of the same interests, same sense of humor, uh, same was interested in music. Um, we we really liked each other a lot. We would, you know, go to each other with everything that we had. We would um, we were actually planning on becoming roommates with one another, and we were that close. And we would go to each other with all of, you know the typical girl stuff. Like, I like this guy. Actually, I fell madly in love with Tim, and he's my husband. He couldn't make it tonight because we left the car seat, or I took the car seat with us, so my son couldn't come. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm not talking well. Anyway, <laughs> he couldn't come because he didn't have a car seat. Um, I fell in love with Tim, and my friend was very excited for me. And, we, and she would tell me stories about guys that she liked, and we'd go back and forth, and we, and we were all there for each other. And over the course of time, um, Tim and I got closer, and we and then we got further away, and it was all this really confusing stuff about the status of our relationship, and she was there for me through the whole thing. Eventually, in the spring of our freshman year, um, Tim kissed me on the bleachers, and it became official. And I was so excited to share with my friends what had finally happened that for months we, I had been agonizing over this. And when I went to her and I told her, and I, was, I expected that she would be excited with me, right? Like here is somebody who I had just such a big crush on, and he liked me back. I mean, what's more exciting for a girl who's 18, right? And instead of enthusiasm and happiness for my joy... It was kind of cold. I I didn't really know what was going on, but but she was just like, oh, okay. Okay, it finally happened. And I didn't really know what to make out of that. And I tried to be a really great friend to her still. I mean, I, I did everything that I could in order to keep the relationship up. We lived together the next year. and um, But it just, our relationship was never the same. Instead of being all excited with one another about things and enjoying things together, there was some kind of wall there that I couldn't identify what it was. It was really frustrating because here was somebody who I thought was going to be one of my best friends for life. And I could just tell that the relationship was not going to head that way anymore. I finally confronted her about this um, a couple years later. And I just, I asked her, I was like, what was going on? Like, why, why the change? And she told me, she said, you know, I've had a lot of girlfriends who have, they've all of a sudden met a guy and they start dating a guy and they have then turned away from me and not been my friend anymore. And so before you could do that to me, I did it to you. It's like, I mean, talk about being, Talk about being falsely accused and, and um, not really being able to defend yourself because somebody had already made an assumption about you to begin with. So you couple that kind of pain and that kind of betrayal and, and really just feeling abandoned by my friend. And 
you add a couple of more of those situations in and I began, became very insecure. Um, we moved, Tim and I moved out here to Colorado for me to come to Denver Seminary in 2005. And when I moved out here, it was really hard for me to make new friends. I was really afraid of the rejection, um, really afraid of being abandoned. And so I didn't, I would try, but I wouldn't, I was so scared. So I wouldn't put myself fully out there. And I remember one night I was just I was stressed out about school or something. I don't remember exactly what was wrong. And I was telling Tim basically all of everything on my mind and my heart. And I really overwhelmed him. It was like he just couldn't take it anymore. And he said, don't you have someone else to talk to? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he's great. He listened so well. It was just too much. And... um I was really lonely. I was so lonely for female companionship. And I, t I asked God, I was like, do you know at all what this is like? Do you know what it's like to, to long for a relationship and to not have it? And he reminded me of the story that we're going to go through today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 14. Um, it should be on the screen behind me as well. It's in verse 43 is where we begin. I want to give a brief background, um, just a reminder where we have been in, this, in the chapter 14 of Mark. Um, just a few hours before this, before what's happening, Jesus and his disciples were having the Last Supper. And at that time, Jesus told them that one of the 12, one of his closest friends, was going to betray him. And they all said, no, no, that's not going to happen. Surely not me. I would never do that. Then we move a little for farther forward, and Jesus tells them, you are all going to fall away. You are all going to leave and abandon me. And they all say, no, even we will never fall away. And they all deny it. Last week, Mike told us about Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane when he was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus was so stressed out that he was sweating drops of blood. It was such, I mean, I don't even know if we can even relate to the amount of pain and anguish that he went through. And his friends, instead of being there and praying with him as he asked them to, fell asleep. And it's at this point, when Jesus wakes him up, he says, here comes my betrayer. And that's where we come here. And he says, here comes my betrayer. And just as he was speaking this, Judas, who is one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out here with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. 
this is a rather dark part of scripture. I was contemplating this a couple weeks ago, and I just kind of, I felt overwhelmed with everything that occurs here. Um, it starts with Judas, who is one of the twelve. He's one of Jesus' close companions, someone who is trusted, someone who is called by Jesus to follow him. And Judas comes and betrays him with a kiss, something that should be a sign of affection. And he calls him rabbi, a name for a teacher, someone who you would trust. And he turns these these things that are supposed to be good. And he uses them to betray Jesus, to say, the one that I kiss, the one that I show a sign of affection to, that's the one you're supposed to arrest. Then, when the people arrest him and Jesus submits, all of his friends desert him. And a young man who wears nothing but a linen garment who's following Jesus, they seized him and they grabbed his cloak and he ran away naked, naked in his shame, I think, of leaving his teacher behind. Um, I want to, I want to try to get into the minds of the disciples and what they were expecting and, and kind of hopefully help you understand why they might have left him. Um, something that Mike mentioned a couple weeks ago, made me think, Um, Peter emphatically insisted that he will never betray Jesus. He says, even even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And Jesus' words in this passage, am I leading a rebellion, he asks. I think they were all expecting him to lead a rebellion against the, the authorities that were over Israel. They were all, all these Jews were expecting deliverance from the Messiah that would be um, one that would deliver them from their oppressors so that they could have the promises of God for the land and the people that he made to Abraham back in the Old Testament. Uh, They expected deliverance to look a certain way, and that was with swords and clubs and a great amount of physical power. So when the people come to arrest Jesus, they come with swords and clubs. They come ready to fight. And Peter, who we know is the one who cut off the ear, he has a sword. We know that from the Gospel of John. Um, when When Jesus is actually physically arrested, he goes forward and tries to attack and cuts off an ear. I think he was aiming for the neck and he missed. Not a very good fighter. And that's when Jesus steps up. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? That's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. But everybody was thinking, yes. Yes, of course. And he says, every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. In other words, I am innocent. I have done nothing wrong. Every day I have been in broad daylight teaching. You could have arrested me in front of everybody, but instead you've come here in the darkness. And in another another gospel, he even uses those words, that you have come here in the middle of the night, sneaky, you know, going about this in a really dark way. And with his words, but the scriptures must be fulfilled, he is submitting to this arrest. I don't think the disciples expected that. They expected Jesus to put up a fight. And when he did not fight, they all fled. 
Does that make sense? It's a very scary thing, I'm guessing. If your leader gives in to the authorities and goes away to be arrested when you know that they want to kill him. And they all fled. There's some music coming out of this speaker here. I'm wondering if we can get that off. It's very distracting. When Jesus did not meet their expectations, they left in fear. Can we relate to this? Has God ever done something or not done something that has not met your expectations as you hoped? Um, There are so many ways that I think that this happens in our lives. Um, sometimes it's, it's really obvious. Sometimes there are people in our lives who are supposed to be Christians and loving and they turn against us or they disappoint us. There are people in our lives who are supposed to be an extension of grace and instead they provide judgment and they cast you out. There are times when, when, um, friends, people who are supposed to be loving, like my friend was to me, they betray us and, and it's not what we expect. It's not the way we think life is supposed to go. Maybe we've lost a job. You know, we go to college, get a, get a degree that's supposed to be promising, and then we go and get the career, and then the career falls apart. Or we're married, and our spouse cheats on us and leaves us for this other person. You know, things do not go as we expect. What do we do then? What do we do then? You know, and sometimes things are not that heavy. Sometimes life is just kind of okay. And there's not much excitement. And in order to, like, stimulate ourselves, we, we'd entertain ourselves in order to distract from maybe this dull feeling that something else should be there. Something is, should be different. Uh, we turn to other people trying to, to get a sense of belonging and um, our needs met. Or we even turn to television because it's funny. Or, or we can live out somebody else's life for a change instead of our own. Sometimes it gets a little bit more serious and we turn to, to a lot of food in order to, to fill us up. Or alcohol to numb the pain. There's so many things that we do, and when we do these things in order to help us feel better, we're actually turning away from God. Because he is the only one, I think, that we are supposed to turn to. He's done something that we did not expect, and so we leave him. And I think, also, we have to acknowledge that we can be the ones who, who turn and harm other people. I mean, I told you the story of my friend right at the beginning who, who hurt me. But I found that um, as the years went by, as I became more and more nervous about having relationships with others, that I actually did the same thing as my friend. I had some really good friends in seminary who who were there for me. We set up this accountability group with a few of us, and we would meet every week and really support one another. 
And something about the relationship got a little bit too intimate for me. It scared me because I thought, they are going to leave me too. And instead of dealing with it and going to them with my fear, I turned away from them to other people. And I ended up becoming my friend who had before harmed me. And I think that all of the pain that we experience in our relationships kind of gets us on this cycle, right? Like we really desire to have this intimacy and this, um, this, this relationship with the Lord, but then something happens and we don't know what to do with it. And so we turn away from him or we desire a relationship with friends, but the fear that they might return from us makes us not quite trust them. And we sabotage the relationship. It's really complicated, And this, this feeling of being alone in all of this and, and this feeling of, of not knowing who we can trust and, and feeling like people are going to, to leave us. Jesus knows what that's like because everyone turned and left from him. Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected by others. He's a man of suffering and familiar with pain. I think sometimes we read uh, the story of of Christ's arrest, of, of uh, him praying in the garden, of his of his suffering on the cross, and we think, well, he's God, so he can handle that. It's no big deal. Like we we kind of brush off the fact that maybe this could hurt him too. I mean, he predicted that the disciples would leave him, so he knew it was going to happen. So it must not have hurt that much, right? I mean, you knew it was going to happen. How much could it really bother you? Have you ever had something you anticipate come true? Something really bad? I mean, for example, like just kind of a light example, but still painful for us. Um, when I was senior in high school, we had to put my dog to sleep, who we'd had since I was seven. And we knew it was coming. But there was nothing quite like that day when it actually happened or the times after that when you come home from school and to feed him and he's not there. I mean, Christ knew that his disciples were going to leave him. But in the garden, he still prayed for them to, to be with him in prayer so that they wouldn't fall into temptation. I think there was something in him that was still saying, be with me in this, do not leave me. And they all turned and left. I think when we, we look at ourselves and examine ourselves and see that we have the capacity to turn from God and to turn from others and to experience that pain, we tend to do one of two things. We tend to say, oh my God, I am so awful. I'm so awful. You will never accept me again. I'm just going to turn away from you and I will never come back to you because there's no way that you could accept me. And we start believing that we are nothing more than despised and rejected and that we will do nothing more than reject and despise. And so we don't turn to the Lord. Or we see this stuff in ourselves that we don't like and we say, I am never going to do this again. We put our foot down and we try to do everything perfectly from that point on. Unfortunately, we fail again and again and again. And we consider, we continue to try to be perfect and try to become our own savior. And that's just not even possible. 
And both of these things, both of these things lead to a sense of stress and confusion and I think some despair that God does not desire in us. And Christ sees our circumstances. He sees that we are not able to save ourselves. He knows that the disciples are going to leave him. And he submits to being arrested, saying the scriptures must be fulfilled. And in that line, we have hope. What scriptures are being fulfilled? Three times, three times, Jesus told the disciples that these people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders would arrest him, that he would be taken away, that he would be killed, that he would be dead for three days, and then he would rise again. Three times he told them that he was going to die for them. Even more recently, he Um, When the woman came and anointed him with oil, he said, she has prepared me for burial. He's told them that he's going to die. The scriptures require a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And God submitted himself, or Christ, I should say, submitted himself to God's will. And in this We have hope. We must set our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, for knowing that we could be saved... Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. He scorned the shame of being rejected and despised and experiencing pain. He scorned the idea that it would be too painful for him to go forward with, be, with submitting to the authorities who came to arrest him and take him away and really would set in motion the whole passion of the Christ. That was nothing to him compared to the joy of bringing us into his family of bringing us into restored relationship with him. The disciples, he knew the disciples were going to leave him, and he died for, and he went with the authorities anyway to die for them. In the midst of our sin, he goes and says, listen, I have more for you. I am willing to sacrifice myself for you. We don't always see that. We get really caught up in our pain. And I think that's understandable. I really want to challenge you tonight to take that pain to God. Take that pain to the one who can truly heal you. Recently, I... I've been going through a lot of the issues that I have with trust of friends and, and dealing with betrayal and feeling abandoned by people. And I was praying recently about these things. And all of a sudden, I had this sense of all of the hurt that I had experienced during my senior year of high school when there was just a whole slew of stuff that, that was just too much for an 18-year-old to handle. 
And topping that list was two of my best friends turning away from me. And when I was praying, thinking about this stuff and praying about it, God said the word mourn. Mourn that pain. You've never mourned it. It was a lot. You weren't able to process it, mourn it. And I started to cry, and I really cry. <laughs> you know, not just a little. <laughs> it was just like the heart, the you know, heart-wrenching sobs. And my two-year-old son was sitting on the floor, and I was kind of trying to hide it from him because I didn't want him to see me like that. But he heard me, and he turned around, and he was like, what's wrong? And he came over, what's wrong, what's wrong? And he gave me a hug. And in that moment, something healed inside of me. I don't know how to explain it, except for I experienced healing because God was there with me in my pain. The scriptures must be fulfilled. He desires to save us. So please, I ask you, if you do nothing else, to set your eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Amen. Oh, I want to say one thing. If you want some prayer tonight during worship, we are going to have prayer offered in the back room. I know that I talked about some things that are really heavy. And please take it to the Lord.